Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. Hello and welcome to Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. We're exploring new ways of work, culture and inclusion in the workplace with a range of expert interviews. Today's show is all about diversity, inclusion and belonging in the workplace. Now, coming up, we have Andrew Campbell Eady on ethnicity within the workplace and how companies might champion and encourage diversity. And the chief executive of Work Equal, Angela Smith, tells me the practical ways her company helps people and women in particular get back into work. But first, the areas of inclusion and diversity are ones that HR departments and businesses generally have been endeavouring to get right for many years. Caroline Reedy is the managing director of the HR Suite and she joins me on the line. And I'm joined in studio by Paul McClatchy, founder of Engage People. You're welcome both and thanks for joining us. I'll start with you, Caroline. Um, you, you've been in the, in the HR business for, for more than 15 years at this stage. What do we mean by, by uh, diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how has it changed over that 15 years? Diversity is to celebrate difference and to make sure that we're really considering the importance of having a diverse workforce. And inclusion is all about making sure that everybody feels valued and we include everybody as part of that sense of belonging we have in cultures. And we know there's huge, huge benefits in terms of um, attraction, in terms of employer branding, in terms of retention, in terms of making sure we maximize the talent pool and also that we have diversity of opinion and decision making within organizations. So I think organizations overall have really prioritized this as part of their retention and attraction strategy and also what's good for it's good for business so there's huge advantages of why this is very high up on the people agenda in organizations at the moment now i i don't want to repeat myself too often through this series but when i joined the workforce uh, neither today nor yesterday uh, i don't think diversity and inclusion was very far up uh, employers minds in particular what has brought this greater focus on diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Is it that the, the workforce itself is becoming more diverse? Is it that, uh, you know, employees have, have different expectations of what they get from work? Uh, or, or, or is it that legislative and regulatory change has happened? I think it's a combination of all of the above. And I'd also add to that list, uh, Vincent, the fact that it's good for business. I mean, having diversity of opinion, diversity of culture, diversity of thought means that we're getting the best decisions being made from a business perspective. It's absolutely good and a requirement for attraction and retention. It's something that people expect and demand because that ethos of dignity and respect, that ethos of um, you know, individuals being really valued for what they bring to the table and avoiding that group think and that objective bias that can creep into organisations if we don't spotlight it. So I think the reason we're, we're putting such a focus on training, on awareness, on conversations like this, it means we're spotlighting um, not to be complacent that without being purposeful in trying to enhance and encourage that diversity and inclusion culture, it mightn't be as active or as alive and things like objective bias, etc., can start to filter in. So I think it's really good that we are putting a spotlight on it. And I think the businesses can see the huge advantages to that. And that's why it's, it is so um, high on the priority list right now. 
Okay, we'll bring Paul in now. Paul Matlachi, you're the founder of Engage People. You're in the recruitment business, particularly in terms of financial services, banking, insurance, uh, legal employees. Are employers in 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 the in the fields that you're working in are they increasingly focused on on inclusion and diversity and how does that manifest itself through the recruitment process through the interview process yeah so i, I think um and a, a pleasure to be here uh, uh, vincent um so i think if we talk about first of all the diversity space so people immediately think of gender diversity and that's a, a sort of a, you know a balanced um uh, management team basically of 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 sort of men and women uh, i think that sort of has changed and i think a lot of it is really driven by that people want to work for companies that they would see as being diverse to a degree that there's opportunities that there's a level of transparency that exists um i would say within the accounting and legal space in particular so so we, I would engage people. We recruit within the accounting, banking, insurance, and legal space, and, and across each of those areas, sort of from junior level to right up to a senior level. I think that the flow of um, uh, qualified professionals in accounting and legal there would be quite a good balance. I would say in genders. I would say the banking sector has probably still a little bit to go. Um, I would say that they're probably more male oriented on the senior management at senior management level. I do think there's a big drive in the Irish banks and the international banks to, to build to build a sort of a balanced structure. Um, and I'd say in the insurance side, maybe. Maybe the insurance broker side, I would say similar, but there's been massive change. I think over the last sort of three to five years, uh, there's obviously a major, you know, drive for talent to bring the right people in. Uh, SMEs are obviously, you know, at, at the sort of the core of this now, and uh, you know, obviously looking at sort of workplace and the challenge that exists at the moment, hiring and retaining good people is, is pretty, pretty much the highest priority of everyone's business. And I, I can say that myself as a, as, as the owner of a small business. Um, and I, I have seen a sort of a strong change, I have to say, within each of the, the sectors we're recruiting over recent years. And, you know, when, when you're recruiting for, for a legal firm or an accountancy firm or a bank, does the employer say to you, you know, give me a panel that I can interview? And do they say to you, give me the best four or five people or this, do they say, give me two men and two women? Uh, well, I have a client in particular who said that they'd prefer a Pauline for this role over a Paul. Um, I, I think the reality is, Vince, that when it comes to looking at hiring in, a, in, a, in any team, basically, I think most companies are looking for a balance. Um, so we'll focus maybe a little, a little bit on the gender piece, first of all. Um, and if they have a team of five women and they're looking to bring a man in, they, they will ask us to be proactive in relation to that piece. It's up to us then commercially to have the right talent pools in place in each of the divisions that we recruit in. Uh, when we're submitting CVs, we, we will always submit the best three or four people. But if someone is looking, you know, and if they state a preference to have a balanced team, whether it be a preference for a man or a woman, uh, we would obviously make sure that we've got really good people in that space. Um, it's it's less challenging, I have to say now. I would have said maybe 10 or 15 years ago, it was more challenging. And, you know, it was really, you know, you were sort of searching aid for sort of a needle in a haystack or a golden nugget to find someone who fit a particular skill set. But it, is that because increasingly, particularly in the professions that you're dealing with, more and more women graduates are coming through anyway. And, yeah, in fact, they're, they're beginning to, to, to be the majority. Yeah, yeah. And like, so, so I'm, a, I'm a judge of the Grail Orange Awards now and I'm fairly close to how, you know, companies are behaving in that sense now. They're very proactive in terms of bringing in, um, and I, I'd say not just from a gender perspective, but lots of different, you know, the rights of ethnic mix, different sort of races, non-Irish nationals, and being very proactive on that front. Uh, and I think people vote with their feet when they're joining companies, when they're buying products. Uh, they want to see that companies are behaving in, in a certain manner. Um, and if, if a particular company has a an all-male or all-female management team, you know, people form a, form a view on that, whether, whether it's right or wrong. Um, but I, w- I would say looking at the behaviour of how companies are recruiting graduates, I think over the next five or ten years, there'll be, you know, an even stronger sort of gender balance, that, you know, and, and uh, race balance. At, uh, 
Caroline, uh, Paul is, is, is understandably focused on the, on the recruitment end of things and how things are changing there. But what about existing workforces, people perhaps, uh, uh, you know, who, who have been in companies for, for, for quite a while? Are, are women in particular still running up against those old problems of, you know, that if they leave the workforce temporarily on a number of occasions to have, have children or whatever, that it's, it's difficult to get back or that uh, they're not offered senior positions because for various reasons that they might not be able to to devote as as much time in in the same way as men, or do women still not put themselves forward from for for senior positions in certain ways? I think we've um, evolved a lot from a legislative perspective, which means that there's strong foundations in place for people to be able to take different types of leave, both men and women to support, you know, um, the journey of life and maybe caring responsibilities, et cetera. So I think a lot of the leave that is in place is very supportive and helpful in that regard. I think in certain organizations, if you can't see it, you can't be it concept, where if the organization doesn't actively promote equality uh, of opportunities, um, encouraging promotional opportunities and setting people up for success. One of my first um, career jobs was in Kerry Group, and they were really amazing at encouraging and supporting diversity. And one of the initiatives they did way back then, 20 years ago now, um, was to have a program to support women because they saw women were getting to middle management, but they weren't going beyond that. Mm. So they had specific training programs to encourage them and support them to get to the next level. And ultimately, I suppose that's what organizations are starting to do now. They're engaging with the workforce and they're identifying what are barriers within the organization. And if they're responsibilities, if it's training, if it's, um, you know, maybe that they don't think the opportunity is there to have a flexible work-life balance. These kind of things are being addressed by organizations now because we have a lot more flexibility around ways of working, hybrid working, um, remote working, uh, part-time working, etc. So I think we're seeing the value of supporting people with that career progression because growing home talent means that, you know, we can meet the business requirements um, around our people needs, which if we're depending on externally, um, that's going to be a real problem. But I think we just need to be very aware as well of making sure we're getting the best person for the job mm. and making sure that, you know, we're not objectively biasing ourselves, you know, in the wrong way either, because I think employees also want it to be authentic Sounds like you don't believe in quotas. Um, I suppose I think that there's definitely merit in some scenarios where you may have to 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 initially give it that, you know, boost and, and readdress the balance or the imbalance that might be there. But I also think the initiatives like what Kerry Group way back did way back then in terms of training, in terms of awareness, in terms of showing that the door is wide open for those opportunities and putting supports, like I mentioned, the flexible working. And in other words, identifying by engagement, what are the barriers and then putting supports in place to address those barriers. I think that's the long term approach and we may need to do short term measures in the interim. But one of the, the huge things now is training and awareness and, you know, helping the full organization from the very top of the organization all the way down to newbies who start 
in their induction and really echoing why this is so important to the organization and the supports that are in place because it's no good to talk the talk and not walk the walk yeah. and not have the supports in place and i think that's where organizations are definitely um improving with those real supports that are really going to make a difference to address things like that Paul, you wanted to pick up on that? Please. Yeah, I, I, so it, it's a common conversation that I'd have with, um, it could be the finance director or the managing director of a, of a, of a sort of an SME. Uh, and there can be frustration that sometimes um, multinationals appear to be able to offer, you know, a return to work type strategy, basically. So if a woman um, goes off on a mat leave, whether it's the first one, second one, that they can return, no, no, you know, with knowledge their job is safe. Um, what we encourage, and it's not easy, but it's to build a transparent culture for discussion that if you have high performers in your team, it's really on the, you know the employer to make sure they're having regular conversations. So I, I encourage every three months. It doesn't have to be a sort of really formal discussion. This is where the business is going. This is where um, your role fits in, and this is where the opportunities lie. And I think the more transparent the environment in relation to what will happen, uh, you know, down the line, basically, if people decide to go on maternity leave or paternity leave, or you know, someone wants to take a break, you know, exactly what that looks like. And I think that's a great. You know, mm. structure and it's a great opportunity to build the right sort of culture in place um, whereas I would say it's sometimes maybe a lack of knowledge or a lack of fear really that maybe they might come back and the job mightn't exist or there might be some you know a challenge there um, so, that, so that that to me is sort of a key piece basically for you know from an employer perspective is to be proactive with the discussion um, just I'd agree with everything Caroline's mentioned there I mean what, what, I think the biggest you know the most confused piece around gender diversity is that there's you know that, that men might feel that a, that there's a, a balanced management team, and you pick that up more yeah. and more, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you know, no, without question. So it's really about being proactive to get the right skills in place. Um, and if it requires, you know, meeting more people or working it hard, it's harder to build that. The long term benefits are certainly pay off. We've been talking about gender equality and gender diversity, understandably, because I suppose it's 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 been the the, the most relevant uh, issue in in the Irish workplace. But you know, twenty five percent of 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 Kids born in Ireland in 2011 mm. were from mothers who were who, who weren't born in Ireland themselves. So we have an increasingly new Irish um, and and ethnic uh, diversity in the workplace as well. Paul, are employers um, are employers encouraging you to to reach out to that community as they start coming in the workplace into the workplace either through school and university or coming into the country uh, as adults. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say, and I can speak specifically about the, the financial legal space, <clears throat> I think when someone graduates, you know, I think they have, the opportunities exist. You know, I, I, I don't see it directly myself that, that um, there's a preference, you know, directly for someone coming from a particular, you know, you know for an Irish person, as, as long as an individual's communication skills are strong, mm. my view is all to play for. I think on the graduate programmes, you know, that there's a lot of opportunities to, for, for companies to be proactive in relation to the, 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 the race balance or the ethnic balance that exists. I think when people are coming to Ireland, so I, I can't speak about the tech space, and I know there's major sort of you know demands, and I'm sure if someone sees a CV who's a software developer or a .NET developer, almost regardless of where they're from, they'll move heaven and earth to get them in. And communication skills mightn't be as yeah, important. Yeah, <laughs> whereas in the financial legal space, look, I, I still think we've a bit to go, Vincent, if I'm honest. Um, you know, in Ireland, we've such a rich tapestry of of, of emigrating, travelling, basically setting ourselves up in different countries, uh, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, m- making sure that we sort of build successful careers 
experience for herself. I think if someone doesn't have experience in Ireland, you know, re- the reality from a commercial perspective for us, is a company going to pay us a fee basically for, for finding someone who hasn't got local experience? It's really on us to be able to demonstrate that their communication skills are strong and that we have a good understanding of how they would, you know, how, how they... And is that sometimes the because there isn't the same visibility as to a person's credentials or qualifications? Yeah, correct. I, I Look, I, 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 you know, this is where I believe the gap is. I think that sometimes if you're able to look at someone's company and where they came, went, went to school, etc., there's a bit of a known track record that exists there. And it's maybe if someone has, you know, their experiences from outside the EU in particular, uh, you know, it, it might be seen as being a higher risk, you know, right, 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 right or wrong. That's just the reality of, of what, what exists at the moment. Again, I do think it's improving. I think the fact that, so, so there's different sort of visa types. Um, two or three years ago, if someone didn't have a stamp for a visa, which, was, which would be, you know, the next step to have being a sort of a citizen, I'd say it was very challenging to find your first position, whereas now with the skill shortage, it does require the companies on occasion to hire a solicitor, basically an immigration solicitor, to move things along quicker. But I do, I do see things happening, um, you know, quicker than they had in the past. Caroline, whatever about I ethnic diversity? Just, uh, Sorry, you were yeah, going to pick up I on that. Yeah. Just to add, if that's okay, just to add to what Paul was saying there, like I suppose we have very strict employment legislation in Ireland too, that means that we have to give the best candidate the job. And I think we just have to be very aware that objective bias linked to, well, somebody went to college somewhere else and we're not quite sure what that college was like, yet they have the qualifications. Processes now can very much test the person's skills and abilities and credentials. And we have a massive need for talent. And, you know, the process and the legislation and the business need, I think, is very much swaying to the best candidate getting the job. Well, just uh, and, just on, on, know, on that point, uh, Caroline, you know, obviously, sometimes in terms of ethnic diversity, somebody's difference is, is very visible because of the colour of their skin or whatever. But what about what about other differences? You know, is there still a bias in the workplace in some places towards a person's accent, including an Irish accent? Uh, or, the, or, or the community they're from, perhaps travellers or whatever? Um, I suppose like we've nine equality grounds in Ireland and the one that's growing the most at the moment, as in that one that has been growing the most over the last couple of years, is that of age, where people no longer want to retire and they're going for promotional opportunities and you know they're going for jobs later in life. And it's age actually is the one that's been spotlighted most. And personally, look, I have a fine, strong Kerry accent and I'm (laughs) living in Dublin and it's the source of lots of great banter and I thoroughly enjoy it. But I think we've I think we've come a long way, I'll be honest, especially around recruitment, you know, especially around embracing diversity and different cultures, etc., I think it's the objective bias piece that we need to make sure that we're. And what exactly do you mean by that? What do you exactly do you mean by that, Caroline? That that we tend to hire and retain people who who look and sound like us. Absolutely, that we don't realise that we might have the objective bias. So we might say, well, actually, they went to that college, so that means they must be better candidate, which actually mightn't stand up. But we have that bias now that we're linking that specific thing because that's where we went to college maybe for example so it's it's being very aware that we don't actually want to recruit people like ourselves we want to recruit the best candidate for the job so really scoping out what are the competencies what are the skills and objectively interviewing to suit that helps us get the best candidate paul, same as when we're doing promotion etc yeah paul you know you you're you're generally recruiting for 
for white collar jobs in the legal mm. and financial world you know will, will someone with a very strong Dublin accent or somebody from a, a traveller community get the same chance if they had the same experience and qualifications Say it depends on the position, Vincent. If 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 uh, if I'm if if I'm being honest, um, I I don't see. I mean, the, with the Dublin accenting, I would say less so. To be honest with you, it's it's common across most of the sectors we recruit in. We have haven't had many applications from people from the travelling community. Maybe it's the nature of our sector. Basically, mm. it's, it's very often professionally qualified people. Um, I would agree on the age thing without question. So if you go to LinkedIn, you look at how companies are sort of branding themselves, very you know strongly promoting the LGBT space in particular. Um, you know the ethnic diversity, but less so on the age side. And I think you know there's if if I look at sort of certain parts of the UK where you know su- surprisingly or not there's there's a major sort of skill shortage, particularly in the back of Brexit. A lot of companies have had to re-engage with a more experienced workforce, sometimes a retired workforce to get them back in, and being very creative with sort of part-time hours. And that's it's opened up a major you know area of sort of skills. And why is that bias or or lack of focus on on older workers there? Speaking as somebody with with grey hair myself, is it is it perhaps that people employers don't realise the, the the wealth potential there, or is there a feeling perhaps that older people might be uh, might not have the same amount of energy? I think when 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 companies are recruiting, they're very often looking for it. It's like if someone's you know they at, at a, a professional footballer, they pay more for an eighteen to nineteen year old than they do for a thirty two year old because they feel that the best years are ahead of them and mm. they have a big opportunity to progress. So if I'm recruiting for a finance director, a CFO, it's it's usually someone who's stepping up maybe from a financial controller, but their career is a, has an upward trajectory the whole way through. Uh, rightly or wrong, wrongly, if someone's in their fifties or sixties, and I'm I'm mid forties myself, you know, so. so so it's uh, and someone has maybe not made that progress up. There's a view, rightly or wrongly, that they may not step up to become that sort of high performer that that most companies are looking for. Um, but I, I do see a lot of opportunity for companies hiring in the part-time space in particular. I think there's a lot of people returning to workforce who've taken time out, you know, after maternity leave, paternity leave, taking time out to look after children, highly skilled, very motivated to work, and looking for you know specific hours. And I think there's a much higher availability of, of talent there that people may not be aware of. It's also also quite cost effective too. You know, if someone's working three days a week, you're, you're paying sixty percent of their salary rather than a hundred percent. And then some of the some of the some of the, the responsibilities, you know, they can be delegated to maybe slightly more junior people, and you bring them in for the more high value piece. Um, ju- just to touch briefly on the LGBT piece. It's something we're proactive. So we, we have a good sort of balanced uh, team, including members of the, the LGBT uh, community. When it comes to Pride Week, a lot of companies sort of jump on a bit of a bandwagon and, and sort of want to be seen to be sort of involved in that space. So we, we this year took time out basically to write, you know, a piece individually. I grew up in the, you know, the 80s and 90s in Ireland where it was very unusual, you know, to meet yeah. someone who was proactive and, and sort of um, who'd come out, and you know, in the LGBT space. Um, so we wrote individually what it meant to us and we got a huge response, hugely positive response from our client base and and members of the LGBT space who had felt that maybe we were putting a little more substance to it than uh, ju- just you know every company having a sort of a pride logo uh, without maybe taking as much action. Yeah, huge huge progress there. At least uh, it seems uh, looking in from the outside. Caroline, I might come finally to you. You know, we, we've we've combined the words uh, diversity and inclusion, and they are very much aligned. But sometimes, you know, inclusion needs a little bit more focus because you can have a diverse workforce in whatever way that's constituted, but people don't feel included uh, in in the workforce. And uh, the the, the layer wellbeing index that we're using throughout this series as a, as a base reference point, they show that you know only about a fifth 
of of people uh, employees questioned felt that their 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 employer had a strategy in terms of of diversity and inclusion do we need to think more about inclusion how people feel that they belong in a workforce in a in a workplace that they see where they're going there that they they're being communicated about 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 things generally I think that concept of engagement and now that we're back to what is a normal work environment, I think the spotlight is back on engagement, it's back on inclusivity, it's back on developing that sense of connectedness and that sense of belonging. And that social connectedness is so important for people Mm. and that inclusivity of giving people a voice and making sure there's lots of engagement and identifying ways that the employees are suggesting to us in terms of more that we can do around that inclusivity. Um, And I think organisations appreciate the fact that there's a lot more to do, but they're very much on that trajectory and on that journey. Um, But I think that engagement, giving people a voice and making sure that, you know, people feel that they've got that psychological safety in speaking up and saying, look, I don't feel that by this approach or by doing this, it's um, reflective of an inclusive culture so that we're starting to, you know, be our own culture police to start to identify what exactly do we need to work on and what is going to make most difference to employees. Because a lot of the time it's asking the right questions of the team and they have got the answers and work groups and focus groups and, you know, internal teams um, often by giving them a bit of opportunity to identify the best strategy around this area in an inclusive way has actually re- reaped the best results for organisations. And in your experience, do, do companies, whether it's the owners of small businesses or the HR managers in, in larger businesses, do they need more training and, and, and help and support to, 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 to bring that sort of an inclusive atmosphere to, to a workplace? Without doubt, I think we've um, a lot done around training since there's been a new bullying code of practice, the new harassment and sexual harassment code of practice in the last two years. And that has really encouraged from a vicarious liability point of view and from a good for business point of view, a huge amount of training from the most senior people in the organization cascaded all the way down. And I think that's created a space and a very positive space for conversations around what do we need to do more and how can we do this better? Because ultimately that's what we're trying to achieve, a culture that's really positive and it reflects that, you know, we want to bring the best out in everybody and people are treated with dignity and respect. But ultimately we need to, I suppose, you know, spotlight what does that mean in terms of the behaviours, in terms of our ways of working. And maybe there's certain things we're doing that are have objective bias in them that we don't even realise. So it starts to challenge the status quo and starts to identify areas we can even get better in. But it sets a very good, strong foundation as well that this organisation means what it says. And as Paul mentioned, they're not just doing something um, and saying, well, this is important to us, but there's nothing actually behind that. So I think the training is probably my number one area of really bringing that to life because I think the training raises awareness it shows the most from the most senior people in the organisations we're going to lead by example and we're starting um, a positive culture as a result of reinforcing all that is good and identifying opportunities to do better. 
Well, Caroline, I'd listen to that Kerry accent all day, but mm-hmm. do we have to leave it there. Yes, Caroline yes. Reedy, <laughs> <laughs> Managing Director of the HR Suite, and Paul McClatchy, founder of Engaged People. Thank you both for joining us. Up next, Angela Smith, the Chief Executive of Work Equal. She tells me how they're helping uh, people, especially women, to get back into the workplace. Stay with us. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. You're listening to Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Now, we've had a broad overview of the issues of diversity in the context of the workplace and also got an idea of just how diverse it can be in terms of gender, ethnicity and more. But let's centre on the gender bit and how more women can get into and stay in the workplace. Angela Smith is the Chief Executive of Work Equal and she joins me now. Angela, thanks for joining us. Hello, Vincent. Thank you for having me. You might just share with our, our listeners, Angela, what Work Equal does. It was set up by, by Sonia Lennon, actually, wasn't it? Just over 10 years ago. Yeah, over 10 years ago. We started off life as a dress for success. So people maybe originally knew us. Within the last year, we, we branded to Work Equal. So what we do is support women to get them into work or returning to work. And we provide a number of services. So that would be professional styling, mentoring workshops, career consultancy, the one-to-one HR conversations, um, but it's to help women achieve that economic independence that we find if a woman's in a good place, her family and partner will benefit, children will benefit, uh, the wider community. It's like a, a domino effect. And, and we have supported over 4,000 women uh, to date, and six out of 10 women have actually returned or come into the workplace. Fantastic work. 4,000 women. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge number in that time. And are we talking about all sorts of women here, Angela? Are we talking about women who may never have, have gone to the workplace in the first place because of, of, of family commitments or because of lack of educational opportunity? Are we talking about women who did work for a while and stopped to, to have families or whatever reason? Are, are we talking about all sorts of, of women with all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences? Absolutely. We, absolutely. We support women from all walks of life every different background from 18 to 65. Uh, it could be maybe you didn't have a good experience with school the first time around, dropped out, maybe went back to maybe a bit of training and then you're ready to come to work. Or it could be women who took time out, uh, whether it be elder care or childcare reasons, and that then they're, now they're ready to go back to work, but maybe their confidence is very low and they're not too sure where to start. Uh, most women are usually work ready when they come to us. And, uh, and they come to either referral agencies, uh, and that could be the likes of, say, jobs clubs, area partnerships, um, diverse groups such as the Irish Refugee Council, could be Dogus uh, Prison Service, One Family, uh, or they could come to us directly. Uh, we have we discovered we have an increase in traffic and women coming to us directly, particularly from our social media. Uh, and it's great. As I said, we're here to give that support and build up that confidence. And it's all about confidence. Because mm. if you haven't been in work for a while, your confidence can be on the floor and you don't know where to start. Your networks have stopped. Your phone stops ringing. Your networks have dried up and you don't know where to go. Um, and that's uh, so that's where we step in. Uh, we had a lovely lady with us last week um, and she was 19 years out of the workforce. She was raising a family, uh, running a home, and she felt she had nothing to offer. And after being with us for a few weeks, she joined our mentoring program. She realized she had, like her 19 years were of value. And that's important so that the women that come to our doors, that they feel valued and validated after being in touch with us and being through some of our services. 
And and as you say, there there you know there can be a confidence issue generally about whether uh, women have something to offer in the workplace, whether they've been there before or not, uh, whether they'll fit in, I suppose. But is there also perhaps a lack of confidence in some cases where they might wonder, even if they've worked before, whether they still have the skills because you know the, the skills in the workplace change so quickly nowadays. No, abs- no, absolutely. Uh, and I said it's the. Uh as I said to that lady that last week with her 19 years experience at home, I said, you're the CEO of your own company. When you think about it, like raising children is one of the biggest responsibilities you, you, you have. And mm. I said, you're probably multitasking, budgeting, taxi driver, you name it. And all those skills are transferable skills. And it's just to remind uh, our, our clients that they have something to offer. But also then I said, anecdotally, they're telling us too, there is, um, when I'm going for interview, there is that unconscious bias there that they meet uh, sometimes, and as it is unconscious, it could be women, particularly from the 40, 45 age upwards. And they find when they're going in for interview, they've been treated a little bit differently or been asked some different questions. And that's probably an education piece, particularly on behalf of like employers that maybe bring in some training or the, to their, their, for the recruitment specialists, just to let them, just to, that they're aware that maybe they don't, they don't realize they have that unconscious bias, but it, it's, um, yeah, it's just to maybe bring in some policies and procedures for recruitment and to help, uh, what you call it, help mitigate that unconscious bias. And, you know, we, we all can can uh, have lack of confidence or suffer a lack of confidence in different ways. With women, it can often be even an element of, of how they look, you know, and, and, and you help women in terms of, of how they might dress with advice or whatever for, for an interview situation. Yes, we have amazing a bank of volunteers uh, between uh, our volunteer stylists who have their own businesses and worked in their own businesses. They're expert in their field and we're very lucky with the quality of clothing donations that we receive, whether it be from individuals or from corporates who might do clothing drives for us. So when we find when a client, we make an appointment for our client uh, to meet one of our stylists and they might be even sure what to wear. We ask what, if you're going for an interview, what industry are you going for? So that we can dress them appropriately, but also I often see when those clients when they when they're standing in front of the mirror and and they have the outfit that that, that they feel the best in mm. and feel most confident in, it's um, it's almost like I call it a ha moment when they stand in front of the mirror and the shoulders go back, and they they won't, won't realize but they'll automatically perform better. Yeah. When, when when they feel good and look good, and then we have then our career volunteers who then have the one to one conversations about building up the confidence on the inside. Okay, where are you now? Those conversations are very bespoke. Where have you been? Are you ready for work? Maybe you need a bit more training or have you got an interview coming up? Well, let's do a rehearsal interview. So that's building up the confidence on the inside. So between the outer piece and then building up the confidence on the inside, that to me is the rocket fuel to go go after that job or go after that training place uh, and, and behave and present your very, very best and also to help them build and tell their own story in their own way. And you mentioned earlier that some employers perhaps need some sort of training or guidance as to, you know, the, the, the types of questions, the types of issues that they, they put before women as, as women get back into the workplace or perhaps enter the workplace, uh, you know, at an older age for the first time. What's been your experience of, of employers generally, Angela, in terms of their openness and acceptance to, to bringing women uh, who have left the workplace and are coming back or women entering the workplace at a slightly older age for the first time? No, no, I mean, generally speaking, employers are very, very supportive. Um, they're looking for that, that skill set, that knowledge. 
the uh, it's um, like for example a lot of uh, corporates that we work with they have been very supportive of our mentoring program and that's where we partner our employ our clients with their employees and we provide training first of all to the employees especially if you haven't mentored before so you don't know what does that mean what does that look like and then from our clients it's also a case of gosh I've never been mentored before I've never been through this experience and so they so we, we, we help them on that journey we were with them through the whole six months of that training it's once a month for six months and at the end of it we have found that the employees get a huge amount out of it they feel that they have given something back they've actually had a real impact on uh, women's lives so in a very recent uh, mentoring program 11 out of the 12 clients got jobs not necessarily in the corporate that we were matched with but because our clients were connected to somebody who was well connected and in the corporate world. In fact, some of those corporates have actually bought our mentoring program in-house. Um, wow. And they're now saying if, if a, a new employee joins the company, they're encouraging them to find a mentor, find a sponsor to help you with your work career, work journey while you're with the organisation. You're a campaigning organisation as well, Angela, with particular focus on That's the... Right. The, the ongoing uh, gender pay gap, uh, I, I think it's over 11% still. Hopefully that's improving, but it's slow progress, isn't it? It is slow progress. It's, it's, no, it is better than last year. It was 14.4% last year. It's 11.3% this year. So we run this campaign every November. We normally have a, a series of, of events, and particularly around Equal Pay Day, which is on Monday, the 21st of November. And we're actually holding an event in Smock Alley Theatre in Dublin, uh, at lunchtime, uh, watch this space, keep an eye on our website. What the last year and this year, what we've been talking about and, and focusing on is childcare and affordable childcare and, and generally caring themes. So it's um, we actually recently completed a fact-finding mission uh, and went to Iceland, uh, believe it or not, working with the Icelandic Women's Rights Association because Iceland is seen as best in class when it comes to childcare and uh, caring generally. And we wanted to learn from their experience and what we'll do is we will present the findings of that uh, fact-finding mission uh, during November. But I said that that event is on, I said the uh, 21st of November in Smock Alley Theatre. So do keep an eye on our website and watch the space. Okay. And, and finally, Angela, Work Equals Focus has been principally on, on women and getting women into the workplace or back into the workplace. Do you think your kind of approach would work for, for other groups as well, whether it be ethnic groups or people from, from minorities or people with some sort of issues that they believe they mightn't be, you know, mightn't fit into a particular workplace, that your kind of approach in terms of, of giving people confidence and engaging them with employers and training them for interview situations would work generally? Absolutely. As I said, we're very, it's, we're, we very much focus on the client and the needs of the client. Uh, no matter who they are, where they come from, their background, um, we support men as well, in, in maybe in smaller numbers, but we do. We never turn anybody away that comes to our door. I said, it's very much one-to-one. What are the clients, what their needs, and how can we help them? And, and even for the client to feel that somebody is investing time in them and taking an interest in them, that's that's huge. Um, and, and that's to, and as we want to, people come to our door, we want them to get them to a place where they want to be, mm. and, and in a good place. So that's hugely important. That uh, as I said, we treat each client individually as they come to the door. It's all very spoke. It's all one to one, and it's uh, and treat them with dignity and respect. That's the huge piece for us that they feel validated and valued when they leave our when they leave our services. 
Well, it's wonderful work you're doing and all on a voluntary basis as well, which is fantastic. Angela Smith, Chief Executive of Work Equal. Thanks for joining us. Up next, Andrew Campbell Eady of the Irish Centre for Diversity will join me to talk about the evolution of the workplace when it comes to ethnicity. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. You're listening to Workplace Wellbeing with myself, Vincent Wall. Ireland has changed in terms of its ethnic diversity, as we've discussed already. So the Irish workplace has, of course, changed as well. But how can we make sure that Irish offices and workplaces generally are as welcoming for all cultures as possible? Andrew Campbell Eady is Communications Manager for the Irish Centre for Diversity and he joins me now. Andrew, thanks for joining us. What, what sort of services does the Irish Centre for Diversity provide? Well, the Irish Centre for Diversity uh, partners with organisations to bring fairness, equity and harmony to people across Ireland. And the way we do that is we work with organisations at all stages of the EDI uh, journey to help them embed um, equality, diversity, inclusion in all that they do. We support companies to transform their workplace culture into one which is more equitable and inclusive. And supported by IBEC, our highly prestigious investors in diversity mark is Ireland's premier all-encompassing uh, DNI accreditation mark. It offers a holistic framework for improving EDI across all grounds. And is your focus generally on people entering the workplace from who, who may not have been Irish born who, or who have a different, different ethnic background? Not at all. Our um, company ethos really is that inclusion um, includes everybody. Um, so when inclusion is improved, it benefits everybody. So we very much look at the, the company as a whole. We don't generally focus on one specific um, user group or one of the people with one of the different nine grounds of discrimination. We, we, we look after everybody. We look at the business as a whole um, and look at increasing um, equity, accessibility, any issue that they feel um, they may specifically need help with or just the general whole piece. And in general, uh, you know, we, we I suppose, unfortunately, will never be perfect. But in general, is the situation in Ireland improving in terms of employers' attitudes uh, and welcoming and embracing of, of um, improved diversity and inclusion, but also in terms of, of employees feeling that, 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 that the situation is improving as well? Um, we would say that the um, the journey of um, progress is is it's a continuous journey of improvement. So perfection is never reached. There's no such thing as perfection. But um, no one should ever feel that you know that job is, the job is done and that, that they can tick that box. It's it's a constant journey of improvement. It can always get better. Yes, the, the workforce, sorry, the workplace has changed and Ireland's attracting people to live and work from diverse backgrounds. We now have people from all different races, backgrounds and heritage and religions, people from the LGBT plus community and people of different abilities. Um, but it's important that what we work towards is um, a situation where a workplace culture is changed so that everybody feels included and everybody feels that they belong. Um, because that's what's important. Everyone needs to have their voices heard and they need to share that sense of belonging because that business culture piece is what diversity and inclusion progress is all about. Yes, there have been huge improvements and huge strides taken within Ireland um, in the area, 
but there's always more work that can be done. Tell us about your your uh, diversity accreditation process. I think it's called Investors in Diversity. What sort of work do you do with companies, with employers, to to, to get them accredited in that way? Is there, is there a large element of training involved? There is. So um, Investors in Diversity is Ireland's premier, all-encompassing, um, independent um, accreditation mark for diversity and inclusion. It operates across three, tier, three tiers, bronze, silver, and gold. And it, um, it really assesses a company's um, DNI performance and assesses it and allocates it to one of those marks. And within those different tiers, they have different um, standards that, that the company or organization um, needs to achieve. Um, and what it, what it more really does, it offers a framework for improvement. So, um, so for tier one is all about making a commitment, sorry, tier one, which is bronze, is all about making a commitment to, to taking on the diversity inclusion journey. Tier two, which is the silver, is all about um, looking at how that commitment has, is being felt by, by the workforce, by, by, by the team, by the full teams. Does everybody feel belonging? And is what the company says it's doing, is it felt, is, that, is, it, is the company walking the talk? Goal then, tier three, is really about um, taking up all of those things and looking at what is the company excelling in. And then it also looks at um, how the company is impacting on um, external stakeholders, so almost becoming an evangelist for, um, for diversity and inclusion. And finally, Andrew, do, does the Irish Centre for Diversity in any way audit or measure how Ireland in general is doing with with, with regards to uh, diversity and inclusion uh, versus our overseas peers? Uh, watch this space. Um, we very much focus on 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 the Irish environment. We we um, have been working with some international clients, um, which we like to call partners. Um, but at the moment, we are very much kind of getting our own house in order, getting Ireland uh, right, and before we kind of focus on um, other international markets. So that's a long answer to the, the answer of no, sorry, we don't. Um, we do have a sister company in the UK, um, but we don't like to compare um, different territories, different um, jurisdictions, because every jurisdiction has its own dynamic. So mm. even though we have the, the sister company in the UK, their culture, their um, history, and what they've been through, their experience is completely different to the Irish um, experience. So it's like comparing apples and oranges. You can't really do it. So we very much focus on making sure that what we know, the Irish um, jurisdiction is as good as it can be. Uh, we really focus on you know getting our own house in order, if you like. Okay, we'll leave it there and thanks indeed for joining us this morning. Andrew Campbell, ED, Communications Manager for the Irish Centre for Diversity. And my thanks to all our guests this week on this edition of Workplace Wellbeing. You can listen to or download the podcast at newstalk.com and be sure to subscribe to the series. Thank you for listening. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie.